Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do another podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters. Although more recently, I've been looking at some of the year's best that I didn't get to catch while they were out in theaters. Check out the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. Today, we're going to be continuing on our series looking at films of the 1980s in which protagonists have to defend a home for someone. Last week, we looked at an orphanage as part of the plot of the Blues Brothers back in 1980. Today, we're going to 1987 for this one. It is a film that was produced by Steven Spielberg. It is called Batteries Not Included, a film I vaguely remember seeing back then. I've seen it a couple times since, but it's not one of those movies that stick with me a great deal, except for a few key moments. It's a PG-rated film. It does have violence and some language. The runtime is an hour and 46 minutes. Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy are the main stars, with supporting roles going to Michael Carmine, Dennis Boutsikaris, Elizabeth Pena, Frank McRae, John Pankow, and Michael Green. The director is Matthew Robbins, and the screenplay credited to Brad Bird, Matthew Robbins, the director, Brent Maddock, and S.S. Wilson. Now, as I mentioned, Steven Spielberg here, he served as the executive producer for Batteries Night Included. And this is a film that's definitely inspired with, at that time, the Spielberg vision of friendly aliens as beings, state-of-the-art special effects, and family fare, something that people expected from their Spielberg-branded films. Although it's actually directed by Matthew Robbins, who directed films like Corvette Summer and Dragon Slayer, which I covered in a previous episode, Robbins here sticks very close to the Spielberg formula in his delivery, although he does fall a bit short of where Spielberg might have gone with this same material. This is a story that was originally conceived of by uh, the writer and story editor named Mick Garris as an episode of Spielberg's TV anthology series that was on during the mid-1980s called Amazing Stories. There were only two seasons of Amazing Stories in the 80s. That show uh, released its last episode. It actually was meant to be released right after the conclusion of the TV series in June of 1987, but the effects work were not quite completed yet, so they instead opted for a Christmas time release because of the subject matter of the film and the family-friendly nature of it. Even though this was meant to be an episode of Amazing Stories, when Spielberg saw the script for this, he liked the idea so much that he commissioned that the teleplay be turned into a feature film and therefore brought in a few other writers to help flesh out the script. Now, one notable difference between this film and your typical Spielberg film from the 1980s is that the protagonists here are elderly instead of the usual staple of having young kids as the heroes, as well as some anti-corporate sentiment that seemed to be Kind of a backlash here to the Reagan-era corporate greed that ran prevalent during the 1980s. Although, I will say, to be fair, I'm not commenting on Ronald Reagan, because this is also combined with another Reagan-era notion of traditional family values as another source of American pride beyond just making money. In contrast, the good guys are the ones who believe in their own freedom to live their lives with values and with dignity above greed or above fear, and they end up befriending creatures from outer space who, by their nature, they fix and recycle things to make themselves and their environs a better place in this era of expendable consumerism. 
The film's commercial-inspired title would suggest that things work best when you keep your things replenished, such as with batteries. Now, you combine that with the individual characters and the message driven home from batteries not included. Is that old and devalued and broken things, or old or devalued or broken people, still have great worth and can still greatly contribute to making the community a better place with acceptance and friendship and love as their sources of replenishment. Now, the stars here are the real-life married couple, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy. They've been married and had made quite a few movies together. They play Frank and Faye Riley. They're the owners of a small diner in this dilapidated building that also houses their apartment in the slums of Manhattan. At least there were some slums at that time. The rest of the tenants of the building are being paid off to evacuate as soon as possible so that greedy land developers can take over and demolish the building in order to erect some high-rise corporate edifices. Those that refuse are being threatened with injury or maybe worse by some local thugs that are also on the corporate payroll in order to scare the bejesus out of these remaining tenants. And without anyone to turn to, there's a desperate plea that may have saved the day. A couple of miniature flying saucers, yes, flying saucers arrive, consuming metal materials and then fixing up damaged parts of the building. They're very small though. They're like the shape and size of a frisbee. The saucers befriend the remaining tenants, although the thugs and the land developers are determined to put an end to this new development, even if it costs lives, real lives, in the process. There's more to the story than that, but I'll leave it at that for the purpose of the plot. Batteries Not Included is is a very cute film. It's, it's charming in a way that will probably go down very easy for those that like heartwarming family fare. Although you have to get through the depressing hardships that are incurred by the protagonist and the supporting players within the rundown building before getting the first glimpse of optimism in the film in the form of helpful alien saucers. In fact, the first 20 minutes of this movie are extremely depressing. And I watched this with my family and they wanted to know if it ever gets happy. And I jokingly told them, no, it just gets worse and worse. And then the film ends. That's my sense of humor. Uh, They were not happy with that joke, by the way. And so I had to encourage them. That actually it does get better for these characters. The spaceships have personalities of their own. They're fun to watch in their own way, and they will no doubt captivate young children as well. If there's a downside, it comes in the form of some fairly intense and violent scenes that occur as the story reaches its climax, especially. Young children susceptible to easy fright may not be ready to handle the sometimes brutal turns of events, despite the film picking up with a predictable happy ending, if you can call what happens at the end of this film happy. I have mixed feelings about that myself. Along those lines, parents should be warned that although this is a film that's rated PG, it does have a number of characters and events that are not quite typical for family fare. For instance, here the bullying that's doled out by the thugs who are out to scare the tenants to vacate their abodes, full of a lot of threats and violence and swinging baseball bats and such. And and you may find yourself having to console your kids when those bullies end up turning their attentions toward the benevolent and cute flying saucers. Elizabeth Pena here, she plays a pregnant woman waiting for her man to return. She gets into a romantic dalliance with a neighbor who is a struggling artist, even though she's still in this other relationship. And that culminates in him painting her in the nude really does push the boundaries of what a film can show and still maintain a PG rating. I mean, PG-13 was an option here. I think the Spielberg brand and the family targeting probably kept it at PG despite that. Hume Cronin's language here, it's a little harsher than you might be expecting from a film that's marketed as such genial fare as well. So 
I have to put that in there because I watch this with not only my wife, but my daughter, who just turned seven. And though everything was fine in the end, I think they both enjoyed the film. We were all kind of surprised by a few of those moments. Now, Batteries Not Included proved to be a modest hit at the time of its release back in 1987. In the United States and Canada, it earned about $32 million and and made about $32 million more million in other markets worldwide. And that's thanks to Steven Spielberg's name, probably much more so than the box office appeal of any of its stars. I mean, this was predating Driving Miss Daisy, which made Jessica Tandy more of a household name than she had already been at that time, even though she's been a, an actress for decades. One thing that's notable, and you probably heard it toward the beginning of the show, this is the first screenwriting credit from the future sought-after writer and director Brad Bird, who directed such Pixar films as The Incredibles and The Incredibles 2 and Ratatouille and a bunch of other notable films, The Iron Giant, of course. Brad Bird was, at that time, the producer of Spielberg's aforementioned Amazing Stories. And also the screenwriting credit, in addition to the director Robbins, went to Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson. They were the screenwriters to a similarly themed film called Short Circuit before this and the sequel that came out after this. Uh, the storyline pretty much closely follows on the um, the old fairy tale, the elves and the shoemaker. There's even a reference to that fairy tale dropped in the dialogue of this film when somebody comments that, you know, what were there elves that came out and did all of these repairs? And by the end, that fairy tale makes way for another, somewhat inspired by a children's book called The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton, the final shot of the film anyway. We also learn some values here. Old values and new values. Old values meaning those of the 1950s that the elderly people espoused, and new values that are espoused by the people in the 1980s who valued, you know, pushing their corporation and making sure to make money, and people from all walks of life as represented by the supporting cast in this film. We can all have a place together in this society, although apparently there's no real punishment for the top antagonist of the story, the greedy land developer does not get his comeuppance at the very end of this film. It's not really a spoiler because it's more of a side plot. This film contains decent, uh, but I would say by today's standards, very dated special effects by Industrial Light and Magic. They were a little bit rushed because that was the aspect of the film that was not quite put together. These special effects don't quite flow seamlessly with the live action as you would expect from other ILM films. Still, there are solid performances by the cast here. Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy especially help bolster this otherwise slight story into somewhat of a worthwhile experience. This is a film that may lack the magical fascination of its brethren, such as E.T. or Short Circuit or Cocoon, which also featured Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin, coincidentally. But it does stand up well enough on its own due to being very good-natured and amusing as a modest fairy tale for the sci-fi generation of the 1980s. So I'm giving it a recommendation. It's a mild recommendation. I think it's a little uneven for me to be wholehearted in my recommendation, but it's cute and it's fun. And I think most people who watch it will probably have a good time. It's a borderline call, I think, for an overall film if you're a film buff, but you know, if you're looking for something for the family from the 1980s and you've seen all of the classics, I guess, you should also give this one a look. I'm going to give Batteries Not Included three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for those people who like this kind of movie. If you're really into the Spielbergian family-friendly fair of the 1980s, certainly you can add this with no problems on your list of movies to watch. 
If you're a fan of the stars, Cronin and Tandy, you'll definitely get some mileage as well out of this. Outside of that, maybe there's not as much of appeal outside of this. This is not landmark filmmaking by any means. It is very much a film that's a product of its times. It was not really pushing the boundaries of cinema in any form or fashion for its time. So, batteries not included gets three stars from me. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review of Batteries Not Included. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button and you'll get my reviews as they come out throughout the course of this year and beyond. Don't forget to check out my website if you want to find my contact information and links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page, as well as my other podcast. Quipster.net is where to go. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. Thank you.